Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami Today I was remembering it's actually, um, this is the day my father died, 32 years ago, it was his birthday. So this is in some ways the way he resembled the Buddha, <laughs> dying and born on the same day. And uh, So it's uh, it nice to be able to, to remember him and uh, consider his you know, my relationship with him, the feeling of gratitude and respect, and the, the value of, of, of a father, you know, something about that which is just not a person, but also what it, what it does, you know, what fathering, what that does, what that particular energy is about, you know, manifests in men, yeah, but also it's a sense of the that which provides you with structure. The mother is more like the thing that gives you a kind of sense of nourishment and and warmth and uh, you know things like that. The fathering is much more the sense of that which gives you a sense of structure, responsibility, how you handle responsibility. You know how you hold your own stuff together. It seems like that to me anyway. So my father left school when he was 14. It was very, this had been early years of this, no, about 19, I don't know, 20s, I suppose, when we left school and uh, worked all his life till till the day he died. So that was it. That's basically, you know, he was definitely working class and that's what you did he worked and uh, obviously that time didn't have particularly sophisticated education you left school when he was 14 no particular trade no profession no academic qualifications just basically you found a way you could make a living out of anything you know working in a shop you know working in a factory anything you could basically find to get some work get some money, get some support. He did that. And so he had no no professional qualifications whatsoever. And yet he just basically learnt through through experience, just through taking responsibility and uh, became quite successful in his own way. You know, when he started his own eventually started his own small business 
and uh, out of nothing really, just out of the ability to know how to sell things, how to work with people and how to uh, make other people work for him, which you'll just kind of learn, really. So that's something, something you can respect. You know, it's that, that in us which is a certain sense of courage and confidence where we we don't know, but we're prepared to, you know, draw upon our own strength and uh, apply ourselves. And it's a good model in some ways for, for meditation. You just, because you don't, you know, even though you have all the instructions, still in some way working with your own mind is very much a personal, individual thing. You know, you can find your own ways to do it. You need to have that sense of affirmation that, uh, you know, you, you know, you don't actually have to be that whole load of pre-knowledge, but just basically, you know, know how to to um, hold a particular intention in mind. And this quality of intentionality is that which kind of underpins the practice, the mindfulness. We're trying to be clear, we're trying to be straight, we're trying to be with what we're doing, and whatever it is, you know, and you can recognize the places where you kind of fudge it, drift, you know, get overwhelmed, uh, and so on. You just want to come out of that. It's very clear, isn't it, in some ways. What you have to leave behind, you know, but uh, it's that trusting the process that can do it, and you, you set up this particular quality of right intention. That's kind of all my my father really, you know, knew how to do. <laughs> he started off when he was, he remember telling me he, he, my grandfather used to deliver coal. He was a coalman in those days when he used to have a horse and cart and. Uh, sacks of coal when you drive around the streets of London and uh, people buy a hundredweight of coal and throw it down there the hole in the road you had these holes in the road with metal plates on them and they lift it out and you sell it down and you throw the coal down the cellar so my dad used to hold the horses heads while they were being having their hooves the shoes put on their hooves so that, that was his kind of early his early career was holding a horse's head and trying not to get kicked by the horse. <laughs> and then he came all kinds of things, you know, worked in shops, became a trade unionist, became a uh, labour organiser, became a fireman, became a mechanic, became an engine, you know, worked in a garage. And then just, just, just whatever, he could, whatever he could do. You know, that kind of sense. And yet the fundamental in- intention is there, you know, and the sense of the, the confidence, the faith that you just got to work with what you've got, keep going at it. So this is what structure is about, isn't it? You know, and you can actually, why we use a structure. Structure could be like meditation technique, system, you, know, you want to keep it something that you can, you know, it doesn't have to be that complex, but something you can just basically sit, be with your breathing, be with your body, then use that to bring forth your intention. Mm-hmm. So in the way that uh, sometimes the meditation is just sitting, 
you know, and whatever goes on is whatever goes on, but you just keep basic sense of you sit there and uh, know, know what you don't want to do. <laughs> you know, just stop doing, or at least, you know, see what you can, you can not do. Uh, when you can uh, stop worrying, stop planning, stop tying yourself in knots, um, stop blaming, stop indulging, stop whinging, <laughs> you know, and just come back to that sense of what your intention is to be clear, straight, awake to it all, not to get involved with this uh, mental turbulence. Doesn't mean we're punishing it or have an opinion about it or fighting with it. It's just actually that sense this is a place where you can just hold the space and that sense of there's something very fresh about that. You know, we just hold the space. And, uh, you know, in a way there's something also very trusting that the sense in which what our doingness can do, what our structuring can do is just create this opportunity whereby another quality, you know, the, the mental quality of like sensitivity, might even say a kind of more f- female quality, so they just kind of sensitive, feeling it out, starts to shift around and things, you know, start to form, dissolve, find their place, settle, you know. And you, you know, you, you don't want to get too much doing involved with that. The tendency can be, you know, you go in there trying to sort it all out and it gets very restless and you bring a lot of the wrong kind of energy into it. There is, an, there is a room for that sense of uh, firm and uh, doing, you know, and making things happen, but it's really around structure. You know, make the sitting happen, make the posture happen, make, you know, the sense of definitely being there make their sense of leaving other things outside the door happen. And you can start to develop that in the way that you, you train in meditation. You know, getting yourself certain times of the day when you do that. What we do here, you know. And we, we encourage that, and then sometimes you say, okay, well now it's time to practice on your own, and also develop your own structure. You know, get that sense, so you're not just kind of leaning on it, but you, you really pick up the message of what what uh, structure is, what structure is about, not just something imposed upon you, but something that's presented there so you can learn the usefulness of it, and then you start to, to you know, develop your own structure. At times, a sense of you know, getting up, and uh, sitting, and walking, you know, and uh, you know, putting things aside and being a bit more on the mark. So, you know, time and place. With my father, I remember he used to, you know, I'd hardly see him in the week because he worked so many hours. I was in bed by the time he got back from work. Sometimes he'd be out working till nine, ten at night, and then he'd be away in the morning working. And uh, he was doing that so that he could have time in the weekends 
to be with his children. He had two sons, myself and my brother. So my brother said, you know, particularly when I, after I was born, my father really took a big step into making sure he had some time at the weekends. Because he was kind of self-employed, it meant what he did was he just worked more hours in the week you know, to try and get all his business done, doing late night work and deals and things like that. So at the weekend, you know, Friday night, stop. You know, it's time to be with the, with his two sons. So then he'd take us out. And uh, my mother, my father, two of us, we'd all go out, we'd go camping every weekends in the summertime. Of course, it was wretched. <laughs> You know, because it was always wet, and you know we had an old banger of a of a van we used to drive. It only top speed was about forty miles an hour, and then we get somewhere. You know, there's big tents. There's tents that you had in the, in the in those days with these things of you know heavy things, canvas, and wooden poles, and wooden pegs, and big thick guy ropes as thick as your finger. Not like these little little flimsy nylon things and steel pegs you have now, wooden pegs. So this thing, this great edifice you had to construct, took ages to construct it, to get it up there. It was always, you know, holding bits of it down while the bits of it fell over, whacking the pegs in. And he would always whack his fingers when he whacked the pegs in. <laughs> so you learn a few new, few new words. <laughs> they didn't teach you at school. <laughs> And then you had a paraffin stove so that you know, instead of these camping gas stoves you, you just kind of switch it on and the thing lights up. You have to pump it and put methylated spirits in it and pump it and it produces a fine spray of paraffin. The idea is it produces a fine spray of paraffin and you light it. Because it didn't produce a fine spray of paraffin it produced a spurt of paraffin. When he threw a match at it it used to flare up and burn his eyebrows. It was, you know, so it was always part of the thing was watching my dad go through all this stuff and feeling this was really, this is what men were about. <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of this kind of thing where you just worked hard and and, uh, and then, uh, you know, my mother was doing the cooking and, and tidying things up. My dad was doing this kind of heavy stuff where you've got your fingers burnt and whacked and things like that. And that was kind of manly. <laughs> But it was interesting to see, we did that most weekends in the summertime, and then so Friday night we'd be off, and then we'd get back Sunday night. And he did that. So he definitely, in that time, those weekends, then Saturdays and Sundays, it'd always be just really, you know, it wouldn't be any kind of work. We didn't have a phone, we didn't have mobile phones in those days, no email, so he'd just be out. That was it, so he just stopped it all. You know, completely switched it off, and uh, we go walking and fishing and swimming and whatever you do, and we we loved it. And uh, then Sunday, pack it all up, you know, back in the old van, back home, and then Monday morning you're off to work. So all that stuff, you just put it aside and just did that, and that was a that was his, you know, creating a particular structure because he felt it was very important as a father, to spend quality time with the children. You know? And of course, as a kid, you just take it all for granted. Because that's, you know. 
you realize just how much he had to do, do that and take on. There was no guarantee, there wasn't a firm employing him. He had to work by his own wits. So he had no, absolutely no guarantees, no security. Um, you know, if he didn't get the get it done, he didn't get he didn't get the money. That was it. <laughs> And yet, seemingly so just to put it all down on the weekend and go go and do this for his, because he would basic responsibility for his children. So the sense of carrying carrying responsibility, you know, and yet doing it from a place of um, joy and I would say love, definitely in his own his own way, you know, doing it for his family. So you've got that sense of a, uh, you know, the overriding intention really isn't isn't. To work, the overriding intention is to do what's necessary to support the family, and that can be many things, a range of things. But it's coming from that same basic place. So, simply when we do dharma practice, it's rather like, you know, you know how you, you sometimes when you meditate, and that's important. When you may, and you do, you definitely meditate. You do that. You know, you do a technique, a system, simple, reliable, and then you can carry that same kind of sense of, of precision, steadiness, commitment to everything that you do. So, in, in certainly, in a lot training as a summoner, you know, the meditation time is the time to really let the mind clarify, and. Uh, Restore its energy, joyfulness, simplicity, stillness. And then you try to bring that same quality into what you're doing. So you actually, it's your chance. Your your responsibility is not just a kind of burden, but a place of where you bring forth. It's almost like a kind of a very quiet love where you actually bring something forth into your life. Say, okay, I'm going to do this, and it's not. You know, we do this. We do it for the monastery, or for the lay people, or for the nuns, or for the monks, or for the summoners, or, or because this is what monks are supposed to do, or nuns are supposed to do. You know, and you have that sense of keeping it going. You know, and, and certainly, you know, my own way of trying to live in this particular situation is very much of that nature, and it's endless. And in a way, that's it's supposed to be endless. You know, it's not supposed to be something that just uh, finishes because you're keeping something going. So the sense of responsibility is never, oh, let's get this done, and then we will, you know. Then you're what? <laughs> Because when it gets like that, you realise if, if that's the kind of uh, that's the mood or the message in the back of your mind, then you know if you want to get things done, why are you doing them? You know, if if it's if it's something you just want to get it out of the way, then it isn't you're not really really with it. You know, you're going to check what you're doing. I notice quite a lot of the time I'm doing things with the feeling of I'll get this done and then get this done and then 
as if there's something else that's better than what I'm doing right now. And it's like a sense of not really handling the energy of what I'm doing right now in a, in a full, complete or trusting way. I think this can be the, the case, you know, when we, we prefer um, stillness over action. So I like, like to be like that. So, you know, so we'll get the action done so we can get back to the stillness. When, you know, how still is the stillness? Or do you find when you're sitting still, there's, there's still the activities of the mind, you want to have them stop? And the sights and sounds, you want to have it stop. And the thoughts and things, you want to have them stop. The emotions, you want to have them stop. Memories stop. Sensations stop. <laughs> thoughts stop. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, basically, looking at one just climbing the in the deep freeze. <laughs> Stop. Switch the fridge off, it's too noisy. <laughs> There's something wrong with that, isn't there? Does it strike you? And if you always want to make things stop, so that what? Yeah. Because it doesn't stop. You know, it changes, it's subtle energies shifting, spacious and quiet, silences, inflections, nuances, it gets kind of still and peaceful. But what does stop, or what can stop, if you practice carefully, is this sense of, of um, you know, aversion, trying to make things not happen, want to have things hurry up and happen, want to get to the next moment, want to stop what's happening right now and have something else happen. This kind of snagging, clinging, you know, chafing on the flow of experience. And this is what training's about, isn't it? You, know? you start to eat the meal, you're not trying to get to the end of the meal. It's not hurry up and then you can go wait for the chanting, you know, the chanting's finished, it's got past that, we can get to the food. Food's finished, you can get past that, get to the washing up, get the washing up. Out of it, out, out, out of that, gone, done. You know, get it over with, so we can get to. And you realize that the effects that carrying that kind of a- attitude can have, where you sort of instilling a sense of dualism, a sense of of you know aversion, preferences, clinging, so that the mind is actually uneven. Is paying scant attention to some things and obsessive attention to other things. Getting highly involved and intense about one thing and kind of, you know, casual or indifferent or so what about other things. So the, the tenor of the mind is, is confused. Because we're not, you know, we're not looking at having particular content as being what it's about. But the relationship to content, the framing of it, the way we are holding it, this is where that holding can be void of 
clinging, void of pressure, void of aversion, void of delusion. So this is where the emptying occurs, not that we have an empty space with nothing happening in it, but that we handle things with a mind that is empty of clinging, empty of planning, empty of procrastination, empty of aversion, empty of delusion, empty of greed, empty of the kind of many subtler forms of that. Then you have that frame, then you've got something that's really, you know, is, is incredibly valuable. Because that, that's the frame that you can start to see how much you can put, how much of your life you can hold within that. And it's interesting, isn't it? Whereas if you're looking at content, you know, particular level of feelings, how the energies you have, or the thoughts you have, or the whether it's fast or slow, there's always some, you know, improper attention to that, a fondling of it, or resistance to it. And of course, it continually shifts and changes. Some of it's pleasant, great. Some of it's refreshing, great, wonderful. Some of it's disappointing, yeah, it's like that, isn't it? But, you know, how long do you want to go going up and down, round and round about content? About sights and sounds and touches and tastes and feelings and memories and thoughts and perceptions and impressions and so forth. On any level, you know, Because it's clear, you know, the Buddha was saying, really, it's Nibbana is not some content. He says you can have amazing content, but it's still not worth clinging to. And if you look at the way the Buddha lived his life, you know, he could experience things like, you know, neither perception or non-perception, but also pre- prepared to look at, you know, whether a monk's feet were bleeding and what, is, what kind of sandals they should use, you know, or how to use latrine. So it's kind of like, you know, the content, and yet all of it in the same steady frame of reference. Like this now, you know, careful, scrupulous, what's the point, what's the intention with this, you know, what can be brought forth with this, wisdom is in a very down-to-earth practical way compassion in a very down-to-earth practical way Mm. mindfulness and full awareness in very practical ways so that's that's what you build up those 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 uh, structuring qualities and content shifts and moves changes you know and it can become very very restful, very pleasant. There's no denying of that, you know. Not it shouldn't we shouldn't have this. It's 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 very helpful. And yet really, you know, the, the, the simple thing and the subtle thing is the non clinging. And that's what it that's why it's important to have the the structuring and to start to get a feeling for structuring. 
A structure is not something that, you, that you're looking at as an end in itself. You don't want to make structure into content so that you become obsessive about structuring and get fascinating with it. You want to have structuring that's something that's like, okay, it, it does what it needs to do, which is just holds the frame of reference. Keeps you clear, you're aware, in touch. You know where we either get obsessive or get casual. We space out or get tight. You look at, you feel those kind of those energies in in in, in the mind. You know, when you get really tight and intense and flustered and trying to make it all work, or you just space out. I don't care. It's nothing to do with me. So what? You know, those things. And that's what you want to clear. So there's that level, steady sense of 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 right right intention, right focus, right mindfulness, right effort. Mm-hmm. The effort to support that frame. Most all of our um, mishaps are through losing that, buying into events, external events or internal events. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean there shouldn't be any events, but it's that sense of not handling them skillfully. So, right, this is where, you know, we can sometimes imagine that, you know, ooh, mindfulness, everything just pops up in the present moment out of nowhere. You know, just be completely present as if that's it. And, yet, you, you know, in one way, that's true, but when you recognize it, when you really review that, you realize all oh, that depends upon prior intentions, prior training, prior instructions, prior attitudes, you know, uh, that have that have enabled the mind to do that. You know, enabled the mind to actually focus, bear witness. And we can look at even external structures that have allowed us the space to be able to do to be able to, to come into the to the present, to be able to put things down. The fact that we've we've done what's necessary to find some space for ourselves. So these, you know, you you can't really divorce the present moment from causes and conditions. And it's those causes and conditions that we return to and keep going. And then the present will always manifest in a clear way out of the causes and conditions that we've established and cultivated in our lives. And sometimes you just got to give it the time, you know, to grow. It's like, you know, when you're a father, you can't expect your three-year-old kid to be anything more than three years old. But, <laughs> but if you'd set up the right causes and conditions, they, then they, they, 
they grow, they're bound to grow, they'll learn, uh, they'll develop, they'll make the mistakes, they'll grow up. And that's the way it goes. And so this is, I think, very much the, a useful metaphor for the way we guide our, our practice you know, in, in all respects. And I'd like to just offer this uh, reflection in memory of my, of my own father. <laughs> 